This week, I have not one, not two, but three wonderful guests for you as I explore professional development and all things walkthroughs with the inimitable trio that is Oliver Caviglioli, Tom Sherrington, and our very own Shannon Doherty. But first, I wanna say a massive thank you to all of their supporters on Kofi. As you might know already, we want to keep Tadape advert free so that our recommendations remain impartial and born of genuine interest and inspiration. But things like Zoom, the primary mode of episode recording won't be free forever. So to help support the podcast, you can subscribe at ko-fi.com forward slash Tadape by choosing one of three different subscription levels, each of which will provide you with access to episode transcripts, priority episode requests, monthly CPD videos, or even all of the above. To show your support, visit ko-fi.com forward slash Tadape, ko-fi.com forward slash T-D-A-P-E. There's no expectation that you do subscribe, but we hope it'll be worth your while if you do. I think that's enough for me for now. So without further ado, let's spend some time thinking deeply about primary education. So Oliver, Shannon and Tom, thank you very much for joining me. How's everyone tonight? Wonderful, thank you. Very well, thank you. Yeah, very good. It's good to be here. Lots of the guests and people who listen to Thinking Deeply About Primary Education mention the impact that walkthroughs has had in what is, you know, a relatively short space of time. I think whatever I've been thinking somewhere around spring 2020 was certainly when I first remember reading it myself. And so I think it'd be really good to talk to yourselves, you know, as the sort of the driving force behind it and also Shannon who is utilizing it across a large number of schools because I think there may be quite a few similar situations and people would, would be really keen to find out about what's going on in Shannon's in Shannon's work and and so I think the best place to start is where did the idea for walkthroughs come from? Well that is the question that Oliver answers yeah. <laughs> he, he was the true orig- originator I'd done something similar um, with another company that I owned. It was partially successful, but I'll tell you where the idea came from. I went to Berlin, a three-day conference called VizThink, and I was the only educator there. There was Silicon Valley. Really, it's a wonderful place. And what I noticed is a group of people who, especially in Silicon Valley, you know, you're, you're a bit of a strange one if you haven't got a PhD. So all these people, highly intelligent, highly eloquent, and what I, dis- what I discovered from them was that it's so easy to think that you've been understood when people speak. And it's so easy to think you're understanding what someone says. But of course, after all their, their business meetings, when people go off and then they do the projects, they found out that lack of precision cost them millions of pounds doing the wrong thing. And then I noticed, and then I, I, I well, the whole three-day conference was about how they use visuals to clarify uh, their communication. So I went back and I thought, I'd been frustrated um, pretty much all my life with with CPD. I'd been too honest in my lack of understanding. So in Essex, the advisors used to hate me because I used to sit on the front row. And if I didn't understand, I just to keep putting, asking my, putting my hand up. So I always, I was early aware of the danger of pretending to understand. And so I created something 
But then I, I went on my own and I had seen, had noticed that, well, I knew Tom um, of him. And then I noticed he had done something called pedagogy postcards. And I thought this idea that I trialed really could be much better. I was going to do quite a thorough search to have a writing partner. But as soon as I saw those, I, it's just obvious that someone who could be a head teacher of a grammar school and yet could concisely look at something practical and write it in a very concise way. And earlier on, I was talking, I've been a great fan of journalism and the ability to write to space and be boom, boom, boom about it, punchy. So I approached Tom and I told him it would be a great success and I'm not quite sure what he said, but I persuaded him. And then we started and it's been great fun. So we're always back and forth emailing today for the last few weeks, you know, as we're getting to a climax of volume three. Yes, it's been great. Um, so we, the, the kind of the, the, the format of their, their in-house, we, we said, yeah, I'd be well up for doing, um, and we, Oliver did illustrations for the booklet I wrote on Rosenshine's principles, and we collaborated on that, and I kind of posted for that and stuff, but then he had the idea for the walkthroughs. So we, he came around to my house, and we sat down, and we just said, well, what, what would it be like? And we agreed some things like, the idea that it could be the same number of steps for each one so you have a repeated visual form format so people would be familiarity so we thought well how many would that be and we thought well with the layout and five and and and, and the classic adam the gardener <laughs> oliver's going to show you adam the gardener yeah i it must have been in the back of my mind this is like a 1940s excerpt from the, the daily express or telegraph once a week and you can see it must have influenced me. Basically, I quite like the idea that <laughs> Nelson Cowan's uh, idea that we have you know, four slots plus or minus one for cognitive load. So we have five steps. It you know, really neatly ties in with cognitive load. Yeah, so this idea that you would sort of capture, our, our, our idea was that the ideas are out there. So, you know, we're, we're well tuned into the community of people sharing ideas. And there are some really strong ones and there's, there are some like you know whether it's teach like a champion uh, remote rosenshine's principles and various other sort of set set sort of ideas they're, they're strong and they're they're repeatable and everywhere you go people are talking about them so we're thinking we've got to get away from this issue of people constantly reinventing and having to kind of re-promote let's try to capture a kind of a set of ideas which it, to some extent represent in this sort of period we're in the the main ideas that teachers are discussing and if we can represent them in a simple way then you've got a toolkit that people can start using for instructional coaching so it linked to this idea of the coaching so we had that and then we just went, sat down like what would we have in it and the, the whole idea of the the types of how to organize them in categories and then we we soon felt you know, like literally in a couple of hours we thought well we've got boy that's enough <laughs> that's enough so we thought, well, this is, we aren't going to do this in one book. So we thought, well, we'll do it in the series because then we can give ourselves time to finalise the next one. And then we thought, well, if there's too many, it will become ridiculous. So we sort of right from the beginning, we planned three volumes. So we planned the whole thing from the start that there'd be three volumes, yellow, blue and green. And so we, we've all, all along right from the beginning knew there would be three. And, that, and that's been quite a nice process. But then the books were the first thing. And then I think... Soon after that, not, not immediately, we thought, well, okay, so let's talk about a toolkit to go with it. So slides, videos, resources to help teachers make it online. And so we, that was a sort of second wave of, of, of activity where we thought we'll make it into a website. Yeah, so working with John Cat, who are our partners in this, um, 
at the back end and so on. We set up this whole subscription thing. Yeah, so it's been honestly we've blown away. I think we're we're about with the really close to two thousand schools have signed up to be subscribers to our resources. And last week we passed the threshold for a hundred thousand copies of Walkthroughs Volume One. <laughs> so we just think, oh my god, ninety schools in thirty four countries outside the UK. So that we just can't believe that's true, but it's true. And about twenty five of them are Australia, but then. It's just mad. So we we really just <laughs> thinking this is it's getting big. So we we're starting to develop it further and train some people to be trainers and all sorts of things. So it's been an exciting journey. Having reimagined what's possible with the book, you've almost brought the ideas to life. You know, you're talking about the the sort of the subscription model. You know, which is as far as I could tell, an absolute giveaway. You know, you're allowing schools to make. Um, you know meaningful change in how in their practice and teachers make meaningful change you know on, on quite a scale and um, you know which I, it almost negates the need for the next question but I do ask it to everyone who has written a book that I interview you know I asked Shannon about 100 ideas and Chris such about them um, the art and science of primary reading I suppose it's why does the world need walkthroughs there's nothing like it I uh, one that when I did my explanation about people think they understand and people who write think they're being understood. It's still out here, so all ideas are all around here. We just need to capture it. And also it's written very deliberately for the busy modern professional. So all the time that I've been teaching, it seems to be what's presented to teachers is either like a government thing, the content of which could be about drains or asbestos, or it's early years where we presume that every practitioner has exactly the same aesthetic taste as the children. So it's all early learning, ooh, loads of colour. Well, you don't teach paediatricians like that. So there seems to be something lacking in something which is modern, punchy, respectful, not dumbing down. It's just that particular level where it was missing. I, I think for me, and this is where now it's there, and I am almost like a user of my own resource because I, I support a lot of schools all the time. And sometimes on a large group. So for example, on Tuesday, I had about three Zoom meetings with groups of head teachers in Sheffield, so six, five or six at a time, who were starting with walkthroughs. And the fact is that all of them are able to tell me what they're working on. So they would say, oh, we're, work we're working on a cluster of questioning techniques. We're talking about cold calling, check for understanding, and say it again better. And we're using the unseen observation process and everyone everyone knows what that means like all of that because it's all defined the, the techniques and the processes and then the the brilliant thing that oliver has brought so why not just have a book why not read a, a, a fat detailed book like teach like a champion which is you know without it's a peerless book it's an incredible book well the reason for the walkthroughs is that you can open the page and kind of use it as a visual reference for the conversation so rather than internalizing a text and going yeah we've read it we both understand it you just lay it open and uh, you can keep it there as a visual reminder so it's not a transient thing oliver's brilliant it explains it so well he's sort of it's there so i'm looking at it i'm studying it. i'm going to so say see that step there simple thing like think thinking time like when you ask a class a question how long do you leave them before you you know how long do you leave them to think so you've got this thing it's just thinking time you're going to do you have that? Is that, is that an issue? Let's, let's discuss that. And there it is prompting you to have that conversation. And the next thing along says, 
ask the student to respond and how do you do that and then probe so all these different elements of a, of a questioning sequence are, are there are nice visually are captured and you're just reminding yourself every time you talk about it so i think that's a unique feature of it and it's just captured and it's quick so the other thing is this blows my mind to be honest that so here's I like, i'm sitting in front of the classic zoom bookshelf today i went to a conference of primary head teachers in uh farnborough and there were about 35 people there from different schools um three of them had read rose and shine's principles none of them had read dan williams why don't students like school and they, those are full-on professional people running schools. They haven't had time to read those things. And, and that's the thing, even though they ha might have the books, they just they haven't had time. So people are too busy to sit Then It's one of those things that if you make it as, as accessible as possible to just erode in. So a summary of a paper, which might trigger you to go and read it more, a summary of an idea. You don't have to read the whole book, you just open a page at the one you want and it's just simple, accessible. So accessibility is, is super important given how busy and hardworking uh, professional teachers and school leaders are. And I, th I think that's one of the main reasons I'm a sales pitch now, but honestly, that's what people tell me. They like it because they don't have to read it all. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder also, I mean, Tom, you know, we've got whole libraries of education books, but I remember hearing some people saying, when you're really honest, I mean, Daisy Christodoulou says this, you read a book, you really enjoy it, you talk about it, and the reality is, you forget 95% of it. And yet what you do is you don't go back and read the book five or six times and take notes and test yourself. You read the next book. So in a sense, we become kind of stupid in always learning something new. So it's really what I think happens with the walkthroughs is they get constantly reread, not from start to finish, but it's a constant reference. It's a catalogue, you go to it. So you get to know it as well as knowing it with a partner so it's shared understanding yeah and to me this is the thing i i, I just can't, i just think and literally yes yeah both both yesterday and the day before i did this sort of remote support for authorities which are rolling out walkthroughs and i went to visit a school yesterday morning in harringay near, near where i live I walked around with someone from another school and we went into several lessons and observed lessons and we talked about the program and how the teachers are being supported and the fact that it, all of us, like the teacher, so this teacher is working on um, this technique and this technique, this sort of phase in the, in the early years, they're working on this. The fact that we all, we all know what we mean, like it's, it's a constant thing, the shared language thing, different people from different schools, lots of different schools. And you've got this sort of, so these guys were, were running off to me. We've got, um, say it again, better, <laughs> check for understanding with concrete and abstract. So you know, explaining things with concrete, <laughs> models and abstract examples i'm going to say the name of the thing wrong and this idea was really, had really captured them that specifically teaching concrete examples of the abstract idea so that the teachers know which examples they're going to give a give us say solids liquids and gases now which which solids liquids and gases are we going to say when we say that and that is the thing which makes you think of it so or, or when i say onomatopoeia and i'm teaching that which, which examples am i going to use and being clear about all of those things has really helped them. They're saying it's amazing. We never really thought of specifying them before. So different teachers would wing it on their examples. And now we're saying, no, these are the examples. So you think, well, that's really great. It's good to help people break through and find a way of specifying what, what to teach so that everyone understands it. And then you've got a, a reference frame for the co instructional coaching conversation afterwards. 
So of course, we, we, we're really clear that all the ideas we have are kind of collected, borrowed, curated, rather than say originated. And it's that curation, which I think has helped people, and hopefully it's inspired them to go and read the, the books that we reference. And Oh, I had an, a new idea when you were talking about how you met that class in Haringey. You may not have actually known them before. It's going to sound a bit weird, but I think, I think it's true. In some sense, it becomes the walks has become a relationship builder because you know you've both read it. So you're both on the same page immediately. But normally you'd have to have loads of conversations, work out what you read, what you believe and everything. This just gets you talking about the same thing straight away. This is the one of the weirdest experiences I have with walkthroughs is that because I do quite a lot of, I mean, I quite like the fact that these days I do lots of training like today, but also lots of in you know practice with schools and visiting and talking to teachers hands-on. And what I love is that I go in, I go in and talk to a teacher or a, or a leader who's got to run a team and we get the walkthroughs book out and I'll say, so what, what we've seen is this. And so how will we take that forward? Well, so I open the book up with them and say, so what it says is that that bit there, you know, when you've done that, it, what, it, what it's saying is we, we should think about it. And I'm saying it, like it's not me, even though I wrote yeah. it. So I feel like it's this sort of neutral thing, sort of outside of us. Like it's this yeah. neutral voice just reminding us of what this strategy could be if we do it really well. And because it's this neutral external voice, it's not like I'm judging you or saying, did you do it or not? I'm just saying, did you do it? Like, is that something you thought about? What about this? And then because it's already laid out, it's like the agenda is neutral to the observation. So we just run through the steps as a kind of, and that finds it so it just depersonalizes and we can discuss and say, it's not saying you must do this. It's saying, this is a way of to define it. And it's like a, it's like a, a set a series of prompts. And I just find that massively useful. I feel like it takes the edge off that, you know, should I raise this with them? You know, maybe uh, I just think, well, there it is. So we just can't avoid it because that's the steps. And I know that you don't do that bit and so do you. So but it comes up because it's, yeah, that's not, that's not really happening. Is it? <laughs> and it's, it's that, that to me has been a, a real revelation. I can use my own book as if I didn't write it. And because it has this sort of weird authority about it, that it's just there, you know, and it comes from sources and it says William Willingham, uh, it's also reference to the big, the, the wise folk who, who research things. And here we are trying to put it into practice. And like there, so it's, it has this use value, which I love. It's, it's not just something you read and think about and all oh, that's interesting. It's like, no, it's properly functional. I just think um, something that I always come back to, particularly when I saw this question, I think back to when I started teaching and it would, you know, you'd get observation feedback like behaviour management. And it would be, well, go and go and watch Pete because his behavior management is excellent. And I, you know, you'd go and watch Pete and you wouldn't be able to pick apart any of his behavior management techniques because they are routine to him. They're routine to his class. And I'm not sat there with an expert or a checklist in front of me being able to use it. And so I'd come away from it and I'd have got no further in my journey of improving my behavior management. Whereas this, you can choose one of the walkthroughs and say, well, have you got your uh, expectations established? Are you rehearsing routines? Are they embedded? All of those things are great conversations to have with someone who's a novice with an, uh, an ECT maybe. And then within that, you've got the checklist as well. And I just think the power of that compared to go and watch so-and-so because they, you know, their questioning is second to none, but you don't pick it up because you are not an expert. You don't know what you don't know. And the beauty of walkthroughs for me 
is you you empower those people, those early career teachers, those novices, and those mentors to be able to actually unpack what they're trying to develop. It's just wonderful. <laughs> That's good to hear. You're right, that deconstruction, and, and, and it's the weaving the things together, isn't it? So you're sort of deconstructing what someone is doing well. Sometimes they're just doing, you know, it, it, it's hard to translate it into your own practice if you can't think of the steps and, and having that little action step, just try that bit. Yeah, what you described in Doug Limov's book, Practice Perfect, those 42 rules, he's got a great strategy called call your shots. So, which means that you wouldn't just go into a classroom and hope you see what's underlying. So the teacher who's being observed, not for, in terms of a judgment, would say, or someone else would say, here's what to look for. Then you have a framework which filters your perception and shapes your perception so you're able to see it. And then that's really powerful. So you've seen it there and then you see it in real life and then you're linking concepts and the static images to what that might, one of the ways that may look like in action. One of the things that's so interesting is that it, which is where we felt the CPD and where we got the idea for that is that even though you specified it in five steps, you still need to have things like uh, modeling and make it live. So Oliver had this, he, he was very savvy about this, that, and this is, you know, researched in some, some other quarters around needing to have uh, context-free images, because we were thinking, as soon as you put a context in it, people think, oh, that's not me. In fact, even one of the heads, I, well, his deputy head I spoke to on Tuesday was saying, some of his teachers initially thought this book was written for secondary. And I said, well, that's interesting because most of the people re using the materials are primary, well, at least half, more than half. And even in, like in Haringey, where I'm working now, and there are 60 schools signed up in Haringey, all but one are primary. And none of them ever say to me this bit secondary because they don't see it that way. And But he, the reason he did is because one of the teachers had in his school had got a bit offended by in our in our one of our behavior management strategies it says something like learn the students names and they thought this was so obvious like why on earth would you need to have a thing that says to do that and it's because sometimes you just need to spell out the obvious like it's it is obvious but it doesn't mean it's not worth reminding like the reason for using names is manifold i mean once you know them you can use them it's and sure in a secondary school where you've got like you could might you might teach 10 different teaching groups you have to specifically try to learn the names so it's harder to learn the names in secondary, but anyway, so that to me was an interesting thing that even though it's uh, written down, you still have to interpret it, the spirit of it, the need to build, to build a shared understanding through coaching systems and, and CPD processes is still needed. You can't just sort of everyone read a book and go off and we all know what we're doing. The book is the, the platform for all the interactions. And that's what we're really getting into that now, actually, that's our kind of, well, it's 100% of what we do. In fact, it's reached the point now where 100% of my work is through walkthroughs. So I, I, if anyone asks to do work with me, that's not to, I just say no. Because <laughs> I feel like I, I only want to work in schools where I know you're going to have the resources to carry on the conversation. I've done too many one-off days where you think, well, I hope they're going to do something with that, but I've no idea if they will. And uh, so this is it's quite exciting, setting schools off and supporting them to have this ongoing process and that's where you feel that you're really getting somewhere. And, and I have seen, and people say, you know, do you, how do you know it's working? Well, it's hard to, it's only even so new, but I've been to a school in, in Enfield where they were doing, say, cold calling for the last year. And you go in there, four form entry, reception up to year six, and it's just incredible. Like, 
I've never been to a school where the, the questioning was as good as that so securely across the whole school. Like, wow, everyone's really on it. Because they've been working on it like really fer ferociously for a long time and really trying it and getting better at it. And it's like, everyone gets it. It's like, yeah, there's not a sort of stray, pointless, hands up <laughs> kind of thing going on here. It's all really, the children are thinking really great inclusive questioning from, you know, it's, and I, I love that. There's something really, fantastic about seeing a year one teacher sit on the on the chair <laughs> with their kids on the carpet and bringing them all in and making them all feel that they're about to be asked and they're ready and they're thinking and so who's what do you think is going to happen next in the story and everyone knows it could be them to answer so abdi what do you think and he's there ready to answer because it's the questioning is he's ready and it's like it sounds so obvious but it isn't what everyone does you know so many teachers will still be saying who thinks they know what's going to happen next? And like someone volunteers and some kids are sitting there out of it, not engaged. So when you see cold calling done super well, you think, boy, does this make a difference, you know? And, it, and, and so I feel like, but it takes that effort and you know, some good leadership uh, in that school and real kind of pr priority for CPD and stuff. So yeah, it, you, need, you need lots of things to be working together. But what they, they rave, they rave about the walkthroughs because it's given them they had all the right the intentions before, but they didn't have the, the tool like to find it. But now they have. So they felt that they felt it's really helped them just push through. I think, you know, it was never in any doubt, but you've demonstrated, you know, way beyond what's necessary. You know, that this is something that absolutely is essential. You know, to Shannon's point, whenever I think of walkthroughs, I think of seeing back Allen talk about how teachers need focused targeted assignments to improve their practice. And then it's almost as if a couple of years later, walkthroughs became a reality and we've now got the vehicle to make that how we approach sort of professional development on a on a national scale so what would your guiding principles for getting the most from walkthroughs be uh, <laughs> i think there's a few things uh, i think one of the, one of them would be to use the kind of why what how thing so make sure people understand the rationale for them first so make sure there's a good understanding of the kind of model for learning so they're not just seen as rules for doing things they're there's a basis for them in, in some understanding of the learning process to start with that. We always say you have to look at this, what we call solve the learning problems that are there. So solve the problems you're trying to address. So we have a walkthrough on that. But basically it means identify the issues you're trying to address, not find a problem to fix with this nice solution. It's like, what are the children in your school struggle with? Where, where do you find it? And is it an oracy thing? Is it a communication thing? Is it about modeling and scaffolding? Is it retrieval practice? And then once you've identified the thing that they're doing, finding hard, select a set of strategies, uh, sort of a tight, small subset of strategies which you feel might address that. And within that, get stuck into identifying one or two which you're going to work on at a time with a view to covering a few more over time, but initially just this, a, a really tight number. And then sustain practice with that through uh, and get feedback on how it's going so that that's the thing so just sitting down to something which is going to address an issue and then you you can tell if it's working because the issue you're trying to solve is either being solved or not and that's what it's about so that's that's the main focus so start with a, a an underpinning rationale then try to solve a particular problem and then sustain practice i'd say that was the the key did that match up shannon with how you're approaching things yeah pretty much obviously i can go into my plan for you in in more depth but um, we are very much, so we're kind of doing an exploratory phase first to get buy-in and explaining all the why 
before we then sort of go in with quite a structured approach and start instructional coaching. We're not going to approach that until we feel like we've got that base level of a shared understanding and a shared set of principles because otherwise it just will flop. Yeah, so yeah, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Obviously, you know, you're going to talk about how you're trying to utilize it as a trust. Is there anything you put in place, Shannon, before you embarked on the journey that you're currently in, sort of on? So for context, my trust, the Aquinas Trust, we have 11 schools, uh, nine primary, two secondary, nine C of E schools in Bromley and two community schools in Rye. And the primary is all very varied. So we have kind of half form, three form, one form, two form. So a really nice range and schools that have got like specialist provision, nursery. And so there's a, a real kind of varied kind of mix of what the, the kind of settings we've got, which is nice because that kind of proves that this can apply to to all areas and all age ranges. So we knew we sort of had pockets of people interested in research, engaging with research. So we wanted to sort of move away from this accountability model of old that um, has sort of been hanging over. We, it's not something we've been pushing as a trust for a while, but it just felt like there were little, little strands of it still going on. And we wanted to move to this sort of continuous learning model. Everyone's sort of work, working together. There's been a lot of coaching going on not instructional coaching, but that sort of pure transformational coaching. There's been lots of that going on in the last couple of years. But this has sort of been the missing link for us. They happen to know in the Trust Central team that I'm a bit of a, a nerd and that I like to read the books and that uh, I find this stuff quite interesting. Before summer, last academic year, they kind of brought me in and consulted me on what I thought could be done with it and um, what my kind of vision for it was. Very much on the spot, I came up with a, a three-year plan of what I thought we could do. And then we had a, some meetings with a few key people in school. We kind of briefed head teachers. We spoke to people about kind of being champions and cheerleaders for it. And now we're sort of laying the foundations while we explore it and getting that understanding of this is good teaching practice. And the, this is the toolkit for which we're kind of going to move forward and develop ourselves. So our first sort of year that we're in at the moment is sort of half laying foundations and half finding your feet with it. People always quite relieved when you suggest that they you know take your time and do things slowly and steadily because it is sensible if you rush off it goes a half cut and you, people need to feel confident doing things because things can fall flat because people right from the beginning feel oh, a bit too much so slow and steady and different schools can move at different rates but I think that sounds really really sensible because you need to you need to have a fluency with what's available and what's around in it in the toolkit and what before you start really using it with real sort of fidelity Mm. and that, that exploratory phase is so so essential what i'd like to say now sounds perhaps a little bit strange is that well first of all state the obvious the walkthroughs is not a program so there can't be any sense that you ought to go fast or slow because that's the speed the program goes on because there is no program so early on tom and i talked about the fact that in a way and this isn't consistent with people promoting your own your own work there's really nothing special about the walkthroughs in as much as it's just the utility now, we think it's a utility every organisation should have. And then the focus is, just as your conversation just been, you, your staff, your needs, where you're going. So that's, that's kind of the basis of it. And then the walkthroughs are a tool to feed that. So you decide, the pro you create the programme, you create the pace, you create everything. It's funny that you say that it's not like new, shiny, impressive, and kind of like this newfangled way of doing things, because... 
when I've met head teachers and kind of spoken to them about it and they've challenged me in a friendly way and said, well, why this? Why, why, why is this thing, the thing we're using? Why should this be our toolkit? And one of them just said, but this is, this is just good practice, Shannon. So that's the point. It's good practice, but it's broken down and it's going to be really good for us. It's not saying we need to change everything we do. It's about fine tuning and tweaking the things that we already do and probably introducing a few new strategies. But I think that's the beauty of it. It's things that people are already kind of familiar with, but they just need to, to hone. That's exactly it. I mean, and, and I, I think we, we make, we're trying to make a virtue of that. It's, it's one of those sort of my, my pet peeves on in sort of Twitter responses sometimes where someone enthuses about something, which is as old as the hills, like um, mini whiteboards is basically just like the slate. And, and that's great. Why, why shouldn't they be enthusiastic about it? It's like, they're just getting into it and finding it's really helpful. And they're going, yeah, mini whiteboards, fantastic. And people are going, no, nothing new about them. Like, well, so what? I mean, why does it have to be new for someone to be enthusiastic about it? They're, they're enthusiastic about it because it's great and it's useful and they've just, they're getting into it. So we should be applauding them saying, yeah, brilliant. Isn't it good? Not, well, oh, I've been good. I've been using them for 10 years. Like, well, good for you. You know, <laughs> well, so it, it's why, why do people react in that way? It's odd. There's need for it to be, nothing new but one of one of the things i found actually some not so much with walkthroughs as uh the rose rosenshine principles i've done some hilarious sessions in some fun some quite traditional schools where one of my favorite ones is this uh lovely lovely school in in dublin called um columbus college where at the end of the session this guy came up to me uh, he's about 65 this teacher's latin teacher retiring and he said that was marvellous. That was the that was one of the best training sessions I've ever been in because you didn't make me feel <laughs> like I was doing it all wrong. <laughs> and I thought that was great, you know, because we're talking about questioning and you know, he felt that Rosenstein's principles were kind of speaking to him, like, and I thought that was great. Now, why should people sit in CPD feeling like they're being told they were doing it all wrong? It's silly. It's not, it's demotivating. So we have to get the spirit right where we're saying we're all kind of working on this stuff. But let's see if we can, like you say, hone it. It's a great word for it. Something I wanted to just say here is about the, the thing you're saying a bit about the, you know, why is it good or what are we finding? What, what I'm finding is that in the implementation, we're finding lots of different, lots of innovation around models of CPD. And I'm finding that fascinating. I'd love this to be really sort of captured some way and studied, but we're finding so through necessity, through cutting through the noise of a school day and teachers' availability. People have coming up with some really good models for supporting each other. So, for example, one of the things I'm finding is coming up quite commonly is a coaching of, sort of two or three people together. So rather than thinking I need to do instructional coaching individually and therefore have one to ones, which are time expensive, I can coach, say, both year five teachers together and that supports the number of pros. So let's say I, I, I teach them, coach them both. I observe them in my walk, walk arounds and I see them, but they also can, with a bit of tag teaching, observe each other or do unseen observation. But when I have the meeting with them, this is what people are saying, like they, and I've, I've seen this in practice a bit, like when I'm teaching, coach, coaching two people, I say, I'm talking to you, as I'm saying, so that's interesting, what do you think these issues are? And other, the other person's like the audience to it. And so the, you're, there's a kind of discipline about the way you're asking the questions. It's very professional, it's very structured because you keep, tight to things because of this audience and then you talk about them and the other person has the opposite view so they they're hearing someone else being coached and then they are but they're in a team 
so that when they go off into their office or, the, or their classrooms, they, they, they kind of carry on the conversation. And that's something this is, this is really working, you know, so we're moving people on because the collaborative aspect is dovetailed with the individual coaching. So this is to me really interesting. And that I've, I've heard that, that people, a lot of people are finding that is the only way they can do it because they haven't got the capacity to coach each person and things like that. Sometimes they're triads, three people working, another person coaching them. The, the sort of pure instructional coaching idea that everyone has their own coach sometimes just isn't, isn't sustained. People just think, oh, how are we ever going to get to that? It seems impossible. But there are other methods. And I think I think this sort of, and then the frequency of it, some programs sort of, if you read the Bambricks on Toyo book, it kind of makes it feel like everyone's got time to see every teacher every week. <laughs> Whereas just wrote, varying the frequency depending on who you're coaching. So you might have two year four teachers and one of them, it's pretty light touch you know you see them maybe every three or four weeks because they're, they're self-starting mature um, know this stuff and you're just keeping them sort of rolling whereas the other person is new and needs you know, regular interaction and you coach them much more intensively because they need it and that flexing of the approach rather than saying it's a rigid program and everyone gets their session these sorts of things i feel like we're much more confident that's a, a really useful way of thinking of this toolkit that it has to be very adaptable and flexible otherwise it's just you know people just feel like they're fighting against it rather than it helping them you know i'm thinking shannon about the next question about what the plan is but obviously because there's no set structure it might be a bit more difficult than i'd first imagined to for you to answer but in your head how do you imagine things going so when i thought out this three-year plan of how we could just make sure that it was embedded and that this became part of our um, daily practice. I didn't really consider the fact that COVID would still be a factor. And I didn't really think about the busyness of school life. So everything is sort of being shoved along a little bit. So initially I took inspiration from the five E's. So engage, explore, evaluate, extend and embed. Overarched these sort of three years that I've set out in my head. So you know I presented to head teachers and and we all every school identified a teacher development lead just to support and um, make sure there was someone engaged in it in every school and so this first year like I said is very much exploring we've engaged people we're getting that buy-in we're exploring schools have identified two or three walkthroughs that they think that they want to work on and this is some schools have just gone right this is our school improvement plan these are the walkthroughs that link to that that's what we're doing some have consulted the teachers and they've sort of had a discussion and voted on which ones they want to work on which ones would they think will be better for them and their practice and kind of improve things for their students we're very conscious that we don't want to dictate it and that it isn't a program and we don't want to say you have to do it this way this is about how schools make it work for them like i said we have you know a half form school that's tiny with a, a part-time teaching head teacher so that's going to look very different to one of our secondary schools. And so at the moment, everyone's working on their identified walkthroughs. And interestingly, we've had deliberate vocabulary development and live modelling have been the two most popular. And I think schools have chosen them because teachers already have an idea of what they are. They, you know, modelling is something that comes up every time I speak to a teacher development lead as something that every teacher thinks they're doing that maybe aren't doing it as well and it's not as clear as it needs to be and then vocab seems to be a focus in every school and so that's kind of one that teachers already feel familiar with they're already kind of comfortable with the the concept of it so 
going through this sort of process and, and working on it as a walkthrough uh, doesn't feel as scary to them, I think. And so they've kind of identified ones that they think teachers are going to buy into initially. And schools are moving towards this, like I said earlier, continuous learning model. Some of them have moved away from formal observation. Some of them are kind of still doing that and a bit of a learning walk. And we're trying to get the schools to kind of find the balance that works for them. So some schools are quite uh, religiously doing a weekly kind of walkthrough themed learning walk. And then they're having this collaborative feedback and, uh, you know, at the start of every staff meeting. Some, like I said, are still doing observations, but are doing learning walks that every member of staff goes on. Some have developed like um, learning walk forms on online where anyone who does a learning walk fills in this form. So then they've got this data to, to say how it's going, what they've seen. Uh, and everyone is coming at it from a really different way, but a really interesting way. Like you said earlier, Tom, schools are finding these quite interesting, innovative ways of making it work, but it is finding our feet and it is just exploring and getting used to it. And then the idea is that eventually teachers will work with their teacher development leads and their kind of head teachers and identify things that, that they want to work on and be able to take this into their own hands. So that if they are doing instructional coaching and if they have, they do have a one-on-one -on -one kind of coaching situation, although as we said, it, it, it's difficult to manage that in a school, that they can identify their own needs and that can be linked to their appraisal, which is something that some schools have already done. They've all, that some schools have kind of um, started weaving walkthroughs into their appraisal system. Some are waiting until that's kind of a trust policy, but, the main thing for us is that it's not it's not going away it's not a fad and so they'll keep seeing it whenever you know whenever I visit or we've got a, a trust inset day that we're really fortunate that Tom has done a, a video keynote for us so it keeps popping up again and again so we're really raising the profile of it and the, the kind of main goal of this year is get it on the, get it on the map because we've got schools working in really different ways and doing some really amazing professional development, but there's no joined up thinking. So walkthroughs will provide us with that shared understanding and that shared framework and those core principles. So, you know, if you're a teacher in an Aquinas school, this is the professional development offer you're getting and it's really high class. And then I have this, this goal of year three, which will probably become year four or year five, where we start kind of doing cross trust clusters where if I've got someone working on a behaviour cluster in one school and someone else has got someone working on a behaviour cluster and there might be a few of us that we start offering this more bespoke CPD and they start networking which would be lovely because we're not as joined up as I'd like us to be as a trust right now and I think everyone in the trust would agree with that but we want everyone to have bought into it and feel the power of it before we start saying and now meet up with these teachers from the other schools in the trust and start networking because we want them to see that it is it's it's impactful and that that it's having an effect in their their day-to-day -day practice and on the outcomes of the pupils and then eventually I'd like to think about the offer that we have for support staff as well and think about how we can make walkthroughs work for them and how can we make sure they're getting a good deal and that they're on the same page as the teachers but that's in the future. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, if you think about like uh, learning support assistance, teaching assistance, I, I've done lots of training with their, those uh, groups. I did an amazing day um, with a whole, like a, it's like a, a hotel room 
sort of CP, you know, event, like all of them were TAs and it was fantastic. Like they felt so invested in by their trust. It was brilliant. And they had the whole day there and we talked all about Rose and Challenge principles and questioning and but with a view to like, but when you're a support in a support role or you're, you're sort of tag teaching with a teacher and so teacher, teacher TA relationships and all those sorts of things. And they thought it was absolutely awesome that they, they were given a, a, a dedicated sort of training in, uh, in that way. And I, I think that's, it's so important because, but you need to know a little bit about what it's like to, to see the, the world from their perspective to, to do that. So interesting hearing you talk about it. Like, I, I, to me, it's just so heartening that, that whole intention, that, that vision for it and the staging, so that that's really, sounds really sound to me. What I find is, is that like in the areas that I'm, the sort of mats and local authority groups that I'm working with there, when they start to cross fertilize, if that's right, that it's, that it's so empowering. So the, on Tuesday, God, I'm losing track of time, Wednesday, that I went into a school with someone else from another school and she was funny really fast. She's super good. I mean, she's someone who's really on it with the walkthroughs and stuff. But she was finding it so interesting going to another school and looking at the practice through the lens of the walkthroughs and then talking about the systems that they were following up. And that the, the two school leaders from different were having this great discussion about how often to visit, what would you say to that person? You know, if you saw a lesson that was slightly less strong than some of the others, what would you do next and how would you follow that up? And all those sorts of nitty gritty conversations are so, so important. But again, because they're all doing it through the, the, the techniques, language was all kind of sorted. We were talking about how do I implement, how do I deliver that? How do we, like you were saying, deliberate vocab development or modeling. We can talk about it because we know those terms. Yeah, so it's so, it's so good. And then I, I feel like that common language, it's, it has a power, which sometimes you might think it doesn't matter that much, but it, it just means that we cut to the chase of the doing it better rather than what is it that we're trying to do better. It's like, well, we, this is it. We've got, to, we've, we've got to move through. I've just written down as if the walkthroughs have become the Rosetta Stone of pedagogies across the different <laughs> phases. It's a medium through which they can talk and understand each other. The book three, I mean, I'm going to say this now, is, has been heavily influenced by primary practice. So because we feel like there are some areas like early years is particularly special um, uh, in terms of its difference to the rest of the primary school even. And, so we've put some things there around, you know, routines for, you know, rot rotating activities and play, but also writing, reading, hopefully, and they're written with specialist primary people. Um, so, you know, Sonia Thompson's done a couple on for using Doug Lamov's ideas about reading, um, ac accountable independent reading and close reading. And we've got people like Chris, Chris Such and Emma Turner have written ones about, you know, the fundamentals of writing, the fundamentals of reading. And they're, and they're very, they're quite sort of general in the sense, but they're kind of, helping you make sure that you've thought through those things um, and hopefully people will see that there's a respect given to the challenge in those sorts of, in those settings it's not but I mean but some of the other things are still the same for everyone like cold calling is the same whatever age you're teaching and, I, and that's that to me is really interesting there's also a, a, I think a, a, an extra one which I think is a useful one on the, the handover aspect of modeling so in our book one the modeling is sort of live modeling how you're standing up and going through worked examples but this one is more about the the i do we do you do kind of idea like we've got to make sure we're doing lots of we do like sharing doing stuff with children mm -hmm. so they build confidence before we say right now go and do it on your own and that strategy like you're saying modeling comes up all the time that exact thing comes up every time i go to a primary school like <laughs> i'm showing them <laughs> but why can't they still do it <laughs> it's because you're not doing it with them 
and, and what you're, you're, you're modeling is too much so that you've modeled a ton of stuff and they, for them it's like you've got a, I always the, my analogy I always use in the training is it's a bit like I've modeled how to fold an origami swan I've gone look what you do is go it's just like that sort of is and everyone's going what, what, what is you do? But just because I've watched you fold an origami swan doesn't mean I can because it's just too many things all at once so it's that kind of let's do it step by step mm. and, and and do it together and it, it's, it's great to have the kind of technical language to discuss that I think you'll like book three Shannon <laughs> I'm excited yeah <laughs> I think it's great what you're doing, Shannon, because you're, you know, you're talking about that cross pollination. You know, you're making sure that the the whole borough has the chance to have access to really high quality education, aren't you? You know, because those teachers will go on and they'll they'll bring the message out. You know, beyond the, the sort of the reach of St, is it St Thomas Aquinas, isn't it? Giving yourself a couple of years, you know, you're you've got your priorities in the right place, and it sounds really exciting. And Oliver and Thomas, is there anything? That the schools might wish to avoid you know any pitfalls that maybe early adopters fell into and you're thinking oh, that's something we always keep in the back of our minds you know as in you know to sort of maybe save them the the time to th you know thinking about those kind of things is there anything you've noticed maybe thinking they ought to get through each volume every year <laughs> every walk through in one year <laughs> well thinking yeah, this program and just taking on too many that's something that quite a lot of um, the teacher development needs that we have in our schools have said, well, how long does each walkthrough take? How, so how, how many am I meant to choose in a year? And we, you know, I keep saying how long it takes, however many you feel. It's, it, it, it's identifying the needs in your school and there is no set time frame. If there were a set time frame, it would be in the book. This is about making it work for you and it will take as long as it takes. I find over the years it's... it's um... We often don't realise where we're thinking from. So there's such a deep grounded assumption because we've always had programmes. And as you say, Tom, you hear about them in, in, in training sessions where the teachers say, oh, I've been doing it all wrong. Now here's the new programme. And so they're so used to that. Without consciously thinking, they approach it like it's a programme. Exactly, yeah. Uh, it's that, there's, so there's lots of pitfalls, I, I think. One of them is that go too big too soon. Uh, this language of coverage, you know, like we've finished them, now we've moved on to those. And, and it's more, it's like learning anything. It's sort of embedding a few things. Like, it's like, it's like learning how to write, you know, you, you embed that bit. But while you're new, early learning something new, you're still doing other things. And you're weaving strategies together into more of a, like a, an integrated repertoire of techniques. So it's it's working out what's the next one I should be trying to work on to, to finesse, uh, whilst still the other ones. It's not like we don't do them, but we just. And I, and I think sometimes that's a, quite a subtle message to get across that we're not just only doing this or only doing that. We're just building slowly. And another one is the sort of coaching. So I think a couple of places have overcooked the the, ru the rush to the instructional coaching when they haven't really had the, the, the people ready to do it. So something which is quite frustrating is bad coaching. Like it's, it doesn't really help the teacher to have someone who doesn't quite know how to coach them being and thinking, oh, come on, really? Like, so you, you do need people who do instructional coaching to be quite skillful and sensitive and be able to work with the teacher that they've got. So that takes time for them to get the experience. 
And I feel like the best, the be if you ask me what the best models have been, it's when uh, the people who are going to do the coaching have been are trained in a, in a specific program for coaching to become better at it before it's kind of re re released on the world of, of the teachers to sort of like say, right, well, an army of coaches about to hit you. And a lot of what's been really helpful with the early careers um, framework is that a lot of mentors are developing coaching skills through mentoring and that, that there's a kind of uh, a kind of discipline to that process and that's helping a lot of schools sort of get their little nucleus of people from those mentors together which has been a good feed-in so i think that miss uh, a pitfall is to not think you need to do the explicit training of the coaching part of instructional coaching those people need training so i'd say those are the two main ones they're taking on too many things and I suppose there are a couple of other extremes of, of pitfalls. So one of them is being too prescriptive. I feel like when people are saying, this is what we've done and, and, and they start saying, well, I decided like a certain a, a deputy head or head teacher says, well, I decided what we needed to do was I wanted everyone doing bump. So I kind of just said, this is what we're doing. I was thinking, oh gosh, ouch. Like imagine sitting there in that training session where the head teacher is telling you we're all doing this. So I, I always think it's better to say, okay, guys, here's the set of toolkits. What do we think we should be? We're going to agree a couple of priorities. Let's get some feedback from you. And then we're going to come to a consensus and then we'll agree that's what it is. But these people have had a say. And the other extreme is the opposite, where people have said they're too tentative about the whole thing. And they say, well, I didn't want to force anything on anyone. So I just said, you know, pick, pick what you like and see how it goes. And it's all so loose. You think, really? Well, that means you literally every teacher is just sort of picking a thing they fancy rather than what do our children need us to focus on and let's all focus on it the sweet spot is a kind of nice collaborative group where there's a kind of set of ideas which we agree and because we're, we're kind of a few of us at least are working on the same ones we can talk about them and you feel like you've made got somewhere so those those are the pitfalls like too controlling and too slack i think it's it's there's a, those are the guardrails to sort of fall in between it must be quite difficult when you you know, you're spending your time thinking about the positives and this is how to get the most to almost shift that mindset to think well what shouldn't people do but i do think that your response will be really helpful to you know especially in inexperienced school leaders who are looking to go this direction i reckon you've saved them quite a lot of time in terms of learning the hard way you know how not to sort of utilize these fantastic resources and yeah so but i do appreciate how difficult uh, that mind shift that was so I think we've almost covered the next bit, but I think it'd be really interesting to, to go a little bit further. What does the future hold for walkthroughs? World domination. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, well, no, I mean, no, we, I'm joking, but I, I think we're quite excited about, well, the volume three. Well, we could go on and do many, many other volumes, but I think it does make the whole series quite complete. Um, we've obviously talked about other sorts of walkthroughs that may happen parenting, management, but I don't think that will take place. When volume three is, is finished, I really want to get round to the schools and organisations. And I was going to ask you, Shannon, I want to create what Tom and I are calling case stories, not a case study, because I always find case studies are too dull and they try and capture everything. So we might visit several people and have several stories from them, but a distinct, unique little story where we can share all the things that people have found so useful. And I think it's particularly important because it's not a program, because you adapt it, because you configure it to your context, 
and that changes over the time of, of the development of the of the five E's, then there are so many different inventions, so many different approaches, and it's always stupid. But when we've got the digital era, it's really unimaginably dark not to learn from each other. So that would be one of the things that I want to get get going. Yeah, I think that's our, our main focus. So. Uh... Uh, we, our plan is so this summer the book three will come out and then we'll, we'll make we'll, we'll replicate all the tools that we've made there then our next fo the focus i'd say for the year after that is going to be about implementation tools so a lot of things that we've picked up over the last couple of years are things like nearly everything that happens in a school some schools really need guidance with all of it so for literally everything like how do i run a a, set, a, a, a cpd meeting so some like a a template one of the schools i know has developed this lovely template for their cpd session so one of those how do i a planning like a, a lesson planning thing it's just sort of there's my walkthrough and and there's lots of using online software now basically google docs and various other things like and we're going to develop some various tools sort of like structured conversations for the instructional coaching sort of drop down menu so and, and it's all copyable and, and configurable so what we're quite we, we think that google is fantastic because rather than it being all sort of locked in into a platform which only you can access we're saying well no it's it's there we've we've sort of shown you a design template but you could make it your own edit it put your own logo on it all this sort of stuff so more tools which will help people use the toolkit it's amazing how often people say i i, I can see what i could do but i just don't know where to start and so you just that that really helping people where to start really making it straightforward so we're going to focus quite a lot on the implementation side having made the toolkit up front so that's going to be quite interesting. And we're also, you know, there are, there are various, a new type of uh, development for us is slightly larger clusters of schools coming to us like a, a, like a teacher, an association of primary schools in a such and such county or area and networks of schools where we're trying to do some slightly bigger scale implementation. And we're, I'm really interested in that because we're trying to we're training some trainers. So we've got a program at the moment. We, we haven't started it yet, but we've advertised this within the walkthroughs world and we have a deadline coming and we've already had lots of applicants to be trainers. And um, so we're going to be training some people to be walkthroughs trainers so they can go into schools and do some of the stuff we do. And that's going to be useful. So we're going to have this sort of mini army of people who can be sort of semi-autonomous in, in the way they deploy themselves, but they would have been trained by us in how to, be a walkthroughs trainer and I, I think that's important because you just need more capacity of people who got some expertise and helping other people to do it so so that's the next development it's all about the implementation in terms of kind of that I mean it's the there's a part of it which is to do with just getting you know more people to be involved in it but I feel like it, I'm quite looking forward to not having to think hey, what's the next book to write because I think mm -hmm. already three is enough and there's plenty and there's more that it lasts people for years and years and I'm so interested in, in sort of intellectually kind of about this whole issue of people, professional development. And I feel like we're, there's a lot of research and theory about CPD, but I love being at the implementation end. So I'm really interested in looking at coaching systems and how, to, how they get sustained and just sort of studying how easy or difficult it is for schools and sustained focus over time and different models of instructional coaching and, and, and that sort of stuff so I, I, i'm that's my kind of interest really going ahead is getting it to change teachers habits it's it's such a long road from reading a book to teaching really better over time to the point where children learn more as a result it, it and that has to be the end goal so we've really got to keep f finessing it putting the right levers with people's practice to, to make sure that's what's happening
focusing on that implementation and how the professional development is happening in schools is such an interesting next step. I remember seeing Matt Swain and Lloyd Williams-Jones talk at one of the research heads in the autumn term about professional development and changing the kind of mindset and the structure of professional development that I imagine is quite commonplace in primary schools at the moment where you know we have a weekly staff meeting and it might be week one is maths, week two is science, week three is early reading, week four is SEND and there's no kind of common thread and there's no revisiting and they sort of kind of turned it on its head and said well instead of that you know really focus on cold calling if that's what you're focusing on and keep on building on it and I just think not enough schools are are seeing professional development in that way it's this quite um individual thing these staff meetings that get run by a different person each week and it's, it's just not joined up at all no I, I see that a lot I, I, I love it when people are enthusiastic so at some level you have to say it's great that you're trying this stuff out but one of the things I sort of give a bit of nudge back to people is say now, if you're if you're telling me what you do is this really great weekly briefing where you give out a weekly tricks and tips kind of thing, I'm thinking how far do you think that reaches into children mm. learning more? Like really, like you've got this group of teachers who are already thinking I've got I'm trying to do this this and this and this and this, and then someone enthusiastic has stopped and and hey guys, there's this whole other thing that's really cool. It's too many things. <laughs> like yeah, really interesting. Thanks, but you know what? I'm just kind of busy already, and I just think that type of thing. It, you've just got to be a little bit more disciplined about things like that and think what's the best time and place for me to share this idea and weekly it feels just to be way too many it's like teachers are kind of mentally adding their list of stuff i'm not working on is getting longer and longer there's another thing i'm not doing oh and another thing oh and another thing and so valuing sustained focus i think sometimes is something we need to really get better in our profession mm. is like let's let's be disciplined about that. like it's okay if that weekly tricks and tips thing is okay guys we're working on this little set of ideas and this cluster of ideas and in our walkthroughs this week we're seeing this has been great well done for that keep that going a couple of things people are still doing occasionally is this and this so maybe and so it's like the the weekly thing is a nudge on the the agreed strategies that's that seems to me a sensible thing mm-hmm. but if it's like dave wants to share you his latest interest because <laughs> he's asked so you know we have to sit there because humoring dave and i was pinned back going oh god okay because it's for him and he's doing it for his benefit and you think okay i need better ways to motivate someone like him so that everyone else is learning from that and i think there's quite a lot that goes on where the person really benefiting from the session is the person delivering it and not the people sitting in on it and that's not really a healthy way of using people's time that sounds a bit critical but i just feel like there are just different ways of doing things slightly better which which just everyone benefits from and it's worth being able to filter out the less effective bits yeah i think it's a case of you know you holding a mirror up to yourself every now and again and wondering you know am i using the time i've got in school as effectively as i possibly could you know so you know i don't think it's overly critical and, and it's definitely necessary that you, you sort of outline you know especially pertaining to shan's point you know it, it sounds like an already thriving ecosystem is going to you know become even more vibrant over the next couple of years so it's, it's very very exciting to see and i think you know definitely you know you don't need me to say it's, it's definitely got the potential to have a really lasting impact on the quality of teaching in this country so you know i'm really looking forward to seeing how how things go have you any final advice you know for those who are ready to engage with walkthroughs you know in the way you've outlined you know or, or coaching in general you know that then you know can sort of set them on their way 
uh, they're ready and raring to go. Uh, Shannon, what would you say? Because <laughs> you're, you're someone who's done it yourself. So what, do you, what would you say? Don't run before you can walk. That's, you know, we've kind of just been saying that this whole, this whole time, haven't we? It's not a case of jumping right in with instructional coaching and just plowing on regardless of how it's going. And getting that buy-in initially and ensuring you've got kind of everyone who might be involved kind of engaged with it is essential otherwise it's oh it's another initiative from the trust or oh it's another initiative that Dave's read about on Twitter and you know we all get tired of those so you need to you need to give people the why and really give them time to kind of understand it and appreciate it before you start plowing on with with 10 different walkthroughs at once I would say the main thing is is to yeah, engage with the concept that it's it's a set of, it's a toolkit uh, which forms a kind of a, refer, a, a reference to form a common language and to sort of believe that that's really powerful when it, when it, you have that, and then to think of the issues that your children have got in the curriculum in the t- in, uh, in, in their learning and think what what sorts of solutions do we need for those challenges, and then look at the walkthroughs as a possible set of well-established things which are not new but are there to sort of define and uh, codify some specific strategies, which you then can then use to have those conversations. And then map out the CPD. I, I think for me that the big advice I always give to people is like step back from it and look map out your CPD process as a whole. So when do you have inset days? How often do your teams meet? Like if I'm in a year four team, what's my meeting cycle like? And how much of that time is like for curriculum thinking like science and geography or whatever so when when are we going to talk about teaching and learning and then how does each individual teacher fit into that lot so so get a sense of it and then say right so that's the time scale so realistically then between say now and what say let's say let's say it was now january what what i've been saying to people over the last couple of days is so really between now and the end of the year we've still got covid stuff happening and so what you really want is say in september to be really on fire with this stuff that's what you want you want to be really like ready to go then so between now and then nice and realistic what's achievable how many sessions would you have and really like be really super pragmatic about realistic time frames and then people go oh what a relief it's like yeah it's just nice and steady and managed and then and then you start saying right that's that so what's the first thing then the first thing is a launch event let's tell everyone about it and you plan that but you know kind of it's going somewhere and that to me is, is the main thing. It's just to take a step back, set out a reasonable time frame, but then and then plan the first session. And, that, and then you're kind of going. And then you you don't have to plan the whole thing at front in, in advance. You can get going and then adapt as you're going. And, and the other thing is make it accessible. So make sure you haven't created bottlenecks. Sometimes you still find that you go to a school and the person who receives it all has got it. And they, they say things like, Oh, I don't want to give, I don't want to overload people because they're busy. And you're thinking, well, let them choose, you know, so let them have access to it and give them all the materials and say, as and when you're ready, read them, but at least they're there when they're ready. So sometimes people are a bit too gatekeepy about this stuff, I find. Mm. Let, let it loose so that people can in organically find it when they're, when they're keen, when they've got, a, t- got a, a spare moment, rather than you feeling you're controlling them, their lives for them by not letting them have access to things. So that, I, I think that would be another tip. Let find like pioneers, enthusiasts by letting anyone who wants to get involved with it. I mean that that's that's really thorough. Yes, other than just to reinforce, 
become familiar with the materials and let other people have access to it. And if you don't like the idea of everyone having access to the website, the Kindle versions just cost, cost three quid. You know? So they're with you in your pocket all the time. You know, I, I really, really find, find just, to me, I, I, just, I just sit back and I just love it. I, I just think it's so great when you, you meet someone uh, or like Shannon and someone who's like doing the job and they're really into it and they, they know it inside out, they've got a knowledge. And, and I do feel like it's good to get someone like that. And, and Jim Knight, who writes all these instructional coaching books that we refer to, he uses this great analogy of the, he, he talked about this in a podcast with Ollie Lovell about the the wine waiter the sommelier and he's this great analogy where when you're a, a wine waiter you you the customers are the ones who, who are going to drink the wine <laughs> so they need to choose it it's their wine but they don't know what's available and they don't know even what's possible on the list so your job is to say to know it well but you're not controlling their choice you're supporting them making the choice Perfect. i think that's such a powerful thing but you need to have mm. the knowledge so you there go and say yeah that's interesting so you're interested in this and this so maybe this would help or maybe this would help maybe this might be interesting to you and you're a good so getting into the materials and the, the techniques so you know the kind of, of what's available is helpful so that you can be more sharp with the guidance that the teachers are going to make so to me that was a good a neat little analogy for for instructional coaching playbooks uh, he calls them instructional coaching playbooks but that general idea is what a walkthroughs book is de de delivering in practice so I, I really like what Jim Knight says there yeah it's, it's the perfect analogy and I think yeah perfect way to round everything off tonight you know all the set says you know thank you so much for joining I think I know I absolutely know that everyone listening will find it immensely valuable you know so my, my you know a massive thank you very much thank you thank you, thank you.